Welcome to Spread Talk with Pam and John, also known as The Calm, Before the Storm. Our purpose is to elevate the conversation and amplify special education resources. And our why is about making the impossible possible. We're super excited on Sped Talk today to be talking really all things transition. And we have this just this fabulous group of stakeholders from around the state who are engaged in the work. And as we get going, and hopefully Pam will join us here in a little bit, I want to just take a moment and acknowledge those in the room and have you each introduce yourself and your affiliation to the work. So we're going to start with Dr. Vicki Mitchell. Thank you so much. I truly am delighted to be here. And of course, I'm Vicki Mitchell. I'm a, a professor at Sam Houston State University, and I am a special ed faculty. And for the network that we're talking about today, the Student-Centered Transitions Network, better known as Texas Transition, I'm the, the project director. Thank you so much for inviting us. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Mitchell. I know it seems like just yesterday, but it's been a few years since we had um, the, the, the Student-Centered Transitions Network represented with yourself and others, a few here uh, at that time. And so we're super excited to be circling back and really hearing some of this, this great new the resources and really the direction that the that Texas transition is heading in at this point. So next we have Elizabeth Danner joining us. Elizabeth, would you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi there. Yeah, I am the transition consultant for Region 13 Education Service Center in Austin, and I've been in that role since 2009. I started my career doing social work for adults with disabilities and and then uh, headed into the classroom and served a variety of roles, mostly supporting students with intellectual disabilities and, and autism. So, um, so my obsession with transition started early when I was working with adults. And then when I went back to the classroom and I knew that it was really critical to get ready and to get things organized before we launch. So here I am and I am thrilled to be here. Thanks for having us. Fabulous, thank you, Elizabeth. I see next there sitting in the middle of my screen, Sandy Cox and Sandy and I just had an opportunity recently to talk uh, uh, about just the amazing things going on with transition, connecting the dots. And so now she's joining us as well today. Sandy, would you introduce yourself? Absolutely, hi, I'm from Region 10 Service Center, which is in the Richardson, Dallas area. Um, I'd love to be a frequent flyer um, on this show, John. So two in a row, feeling pretty proud of myself. Um, I've been with Region 10 since 2013. This is my 31st year in education. I'm super happy to be a part of the leadership team for Texas Transition and can't wait to talk about what we're going to share later. Thanks a lot. Careful what you wish for, Sandy. We may get you in. You just may have to fill in for Pam when she's out on days like this. So thank you for joining us. Thanks. I see Kayla Daniel, the fabulous Kayla Daniel, formerly of ESC Region 12, but I'm going to let her talk a little bit more about that. Thank you, John Bullion. I am the newest member of Student Centered Transitions Network or Texas Transition and honored to be there. It's so great to get to work with this wonderful group of people under Dr. Mitchell and, and to get to really be this close to the work. So I'm excited to be here. I am well, they are super blessed to have you, Kayla. We miss you here Thanks, at Region John. 12, but we know you're always just a phone call away. And then I see a, a friend of mine, Susie May uh, from TEA. Susie, welcome. 
Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, transition is so near and dear to our, our hearts, and we're super excited to, to start talking about it. So I'm Susie May with the Texas Education Agency, and I am the state transition coordinator, also the lead for the Student-Centered Transitions Network. My background, uh, I am now like 41 years into special education, and transition has been probably my heart and soul before it was cool. So uh, yeah, seven years in, in doing this uh, transition work, and we are aiming to be the leader in transition across the country. So thanks again for having us. Absolutely. I would argue that we, we really already are kind of stepping into that space of being the leaders um, really nationwide when it comes to transition-related services from the agency level at the state level all the way down through our ESCs and, you know, at the local level. You know, it's always our LEAs that are trying to kind of really put the rubber to the road and make this stuff happen for kids, you know, for our students with disabilities out there. But it really does all start at the state and regional level so that our LEAs, you know, have those examples, those role models, those partnerships, those collaborations to build on. And so what an exceptionally role model you've been for us, Susie, at the state level. Thank you for joining us. And then we have Carol Douglas. Carol, would you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Carol Douglas, and I'm a project coordinator on Dr. Mitchell's team for Texas Transition. Carol, it's wonderful to have you join us today. I hope we we get future opportunities to visit more, and I'm, I'm excited to hear kind of all that y'all have to offer today. And then next, I, I super, super am excited to um, give a shout out to my friend and colleague, formerly uh, director here in Region 12, Michelle McKinley. Good afternoon. Um, so glad to see you. Uh, my name is Michelle McKinley. I am the Executive Director of Special Programs here in uh, Maynard ISD. And I'm excited to be a part of this great team talking about transition uh, near and dear to my heart as a former transition coordinator, but always wanting to figure out what do we need to do for our students with disabilities to prepare them for that post-secondary outcome. So thank you very much for including me. Thank you, Michelle. By the way, T-Case was a huge hit last week and, and kudos to you and, and your whole team. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank yes, ma'am. And then last but not least, we have Bryn Biggs. Bryn, would you introduce yourself? My name is Bryn. I am a project manager with Texas Transition. And I am so excited. I came uh, to this position uh, as a former transition employment designee from Bryan ISD, and now I'm here. Transition has kind of always been in my life, too. I grew up um, getting serviced by special education in school and used those services in college, and now here I am. It just won't leave me, and I'm really excited about it because it is, it's a strong passion of mine, so... Well, Bryn, we are so glad you're part of this group. Well, let's launch out. Let's start this conversation. I know I could sit and talk all day. And if Pam was here, she'd tell me to be quiet because I, I like to talk and she's she's a better listener than I am. But we're going to jump right in and I'm just going to throw some questions out. I wanted to start with kind of the group. Just, you know, when you think about Texas transition, it really has evolved over the past several years in Texas. At one point, you know, we we had that the TEA kind of technical assistance network. Now we kind of transitioned into the student-centered transitions network, that new iteration of transition in Texas. Now we're, we're really kind of in this yet again kind of re-imagined time period with Texas transition. And that's what it is now. It's just Texas transition. Now, Susie, would you jump in maybe and talk a little bit about kind of the evolution of kind of the, the Texas transition over the last few years? 
I call Transition Network as the OG of networks because it's been around for years. And it was around the state performance plan 13, SPP 13. And, at, and I recall that it was at the beginning of SPP 14, and that was talking about post-school outcomes. So that whole network, was rep, rep, there was representation with, from each of the 20 region centers, and, but it was all around the SPP work. And then there was a few years ago, another um, revised vision from the agency and our leadership came up with Student-Centered Transitions Network. And it was the thought was that transition happens from early stages to when you exit. That network is still in place and we are still official, but instead of being such a network-centric around Texas transition, we want it to be globally effective in calling it Texas transition because Texas transition is going to happen with or without a network. And the network is the driver behind everything that we're trying to help our LEAs with areas that is statutory required around transition. We have review and support that are doing folder checks and things like that or with the LEAs and, and there, there's some areas that uh, we're having to, to help our LEAs around some non-compliance and so we're, we're being really responsive to that but ultimately the goal is that every student with an IEP is going to have a successful post-school experience whether it's in training, education, higher ed, and then just independent living skills. And we want them to be as successful adults. It starts early and we, and we all know that. And we are here to help and support um, our LEAs across Texas. You know, John, one of the things that I would add on the, eleva- uh, on the evolution of all of this is that the Texas transition is kind of a unique network in that when the Texas Education Agency opened the opportunity to apply to lead networks in the state of Texas when they were re-envisioning networks to become capacity builders across the state, they opened the door to institutions of higher education. And at Sam Houston State University in the Garrett Center on Transition and Disability Studies, because that is our focus is transition, and where we were already practitioner oriented and out there in the state, we really saw this as an opportunity to partner with the Texas Education Agency and all of the ESCs to drive transition in the state of Texas. And so we threw our hat in the ring and we were so delighted to do that and to have the opportunity to be one of the universities leading a network. The University of Texas in Austin also leads one of the networks. And so But one of the things that we saw as we began to envision the evolution of the network was that as a university, we also needed to understand and acknowledge that we weren't out in the schools every day like the ESCs were. And so we needed to be sure that not only as a network, does it consist of the ESCs, but that we really had the ESCs having our ear and, and them having our ear. And so in order to lead the network at the Garrett Center, we created a leadership team. 
And the leadership team consists of those of us who are at the Garrett Center, but also five of the key people in the state who are really movers and shakers in the area of transition. And we call them the big five who are on the leadership team. And the big five consists of, some of them are actually on here right now. We've got Elizabeth Danner from Region 13 in Austin, Sandy Cox from Region 10, Sam Gonzalez, Region 20, Valerie Mose from Region 15, Elizabeth Archer, Archer from Region 17, and then some of those that you've met today, myself, Bryn Biggs, Carol Douglas, and Kayla Daniel, they are all part of the uh, network staff that is housed at Sam Houston State University at the Garrett Center. And so, so then together with the big five, we meet on a regular basis for multiple reasons, because we are constantly trying very much to have our thumb on the pulse of the state of Texas. Not only what is happening in the school district, but what, are, what is the feedback that we're getting from families, from advocacy groups, from the legislature, from the sections of the Texas education that looks at the accountability and what are they finding out? How can we use all of this information to make sure that the things that we do as a network is really getting at the needs of the state to improve services that improve post-school outcomes for students. And, and one of the things that we've been so delighted about is that although we have our quarterly network meetings, every month we have what we call a power chat. And on that power chat, we have uh, the people from the 20 ESCs. And even though it's optional, without exception, they're almost always there. And if they're not, it's because they're training. And it's because as a network, we are just constantly talking with each other and making sure that we have the latest and greatest of information and that we're keeping each other informed and that they're keeping us informed. And so uh, we honestly feel like we've got the best network in the state. We are very, very proud of uh, Texas transition. And, and, and our message as you hear us talk about the things that we're doing is to all the stakeholders in Texas, please continue to let us know. Uh, what is need needed, because that's what we want to do. We This is not a job for us. It's honestly a passion. So thank you for letting us be here. We're excited to tell you about what we're doing. I am pumped up. I'll tell you, I, you know, one, as a director for years and as an LPC before, you know, that, and I think transition is one of those areas of special education that really touches everyone. It affects everyone and all aspects of a student's lived experience in that educational setting. And, and I love that this is such a power group that comes together to really talk through, learn from, and, and, and learn with people out in the field who are actually doing the work and are experiencing kind of those real world um, experiences where transition is touching their lives, whether it be an educator, whether it be a student, whether it be, you know, a parent. So I just love that there's such a large extended learning community, if you will, that's coming together around this work. Let's talk a little bit more about that. So I keep hearing this acronym being used and it's the RSAC. And I know in talking with Sandy in a, in a previous episode of SPED Talk, we talked a little bit about that, about the student advisory committees that, that are being engaged in this work. So will we can y'all talk a little bit more about that? John, you know I'm not going to be shy when you talk about RSAC. So it is the Regional Student Advisory Committee. And thankfully, all of our education service centers are participating. And not every school district or charter has one, but we have groups of self-determined students 
come together with the help of an educator sponsor and they look over things for us with the eye from our most important stakeholder, which is our student. And so we wanna give them opportunities to put their self-determination into action. Some of the things that we've given them and actually one of our very favorite things is that we took the 2018 first version of the Texas Transition and Employment Guide and we said to them, would you look at this and give us some feedback? Um, and of course, you know, I love students, they don't hold back. Things like, this is boring. Um, this is not easy to use. It's not organized. I wouldn't like it. I don't like it. And so we took all that information and we're like, okay, so we have some work to do. Thankfully, we have every three years to up the ante a little bit um, and improve the guide. So we always take that input seriously. We always value that input from students. This guide should be usable for them. They will go back to it over and over throughout their years, starting from birth to 22 and, and revisit different places and different pieces of that guide. So we did, we got that input. We had several stakeholders again, um, but our student advisory committees um, really did bring it home for us. I do wanna say before we get off again, this particular one, I think I mentioned Elizabeth Danner um, in our last podcast together that this really would not have gotten off the ground had it not been for Elizabeth Danner. She worked an entire year taking all the feedback from all the stakeholders from around the state to make sure that it was user-friendly, um, it was used in plain language, that their input and insights were included. So it really is a product of Elizabeth's work. So just always want to say great job, Elizabeth. We had a great time shouting it out um, at TK's last week. We had a great turnout. So just wanted to say that. So our advisory committee is part of that stakeholder group. That's right. And that advisory committee, it has been amazing to watch the feedback that they share. And like Sandy said, they are not shy. And these are students, we specifically request students who already have the self-determination skills, because we know that educators are out there, counselors, uh, special education teachers and administrators are, and others are out there teaching self-determination skills, related service providers. Everybody in education is trying to meet their school's mission and vision statement, which is churning out independent adults who contribute to community, right? And that is also true for students with disabilities. And so we knew that that was happening and we really just wanted to tap into that. And so as we were kind of thinking of how we might do that, of course, one of the thoughts was, well, maybe we could offer meetings at the service centers, that that would be the regional component of this regional student advisory committee. And we just thought, you know, we don't have the time to build the trust with students so that they will share their honest feedback with us. And so we rely very heavily on the education sponsors, which are those transition designees or teachers or others who are in the schools who already have the relationships with the students who have instilled those self-determination skills, right, and practice those with them. So we rely heavily and they deliver. Even in the last two years that have been unbearably tough for educators everywhere. And, you know, we always kind of go into the year thinking, okay, we're going to ask for feedback, but boy, we're going to ask nicely and gently, and we're going to be ready to not get feedback because this is hard. And this is just one more thing. And man, they have delivered. And, and it really matters because what it does for us is as a, as a leadership team and as a state network, we, we get that feedback we need to impact our projects. They tell us 
hey, this is kind of lame, <laughs> or um, or we're really scared of this. These are the things on the minds of like, I'm really afraid that I'm not going to have health care when I'm an adult, or I'm really concerned about talking to my parents about this thing or that thing, or, you know, they really share honestly about these are our priorities as students in Texas, and it's really helpful. So, uh, so we're just so grateful to the educator sponsors who organize this and give us that link and man, are we grateful to those students for just looking at what we send and and telling us honestly what they think. John, this is Vicki. I'd like to jump in and add a little bit to what Elizabeth and Sandy said, because these two ladies on here are amazing. If you are listening to this podcast and you are, whether you're an administrator in special education or a campus principal or a teacher or a department chair, you can do this too, because we need you. This may be something that if you're not already doing it, that you'll want to think about for next year, because the reason why this whole thing was started was we know that you guys are out there teaching self-determination and trying to convince students to not just learn it, but use it. And we realized as a network that we needed to provide an opportunity for students to really have a meaningful voice. Because at the time we were looking at advisory committees and we thought, okay, we need student representative. Okay, one, well, no, two, that's not clearly enough. A state of Texas, two people. I mean, the person from Dallas and El Paso versus Beaumont and Wichita Falls. I mean, you can't have one person representing the state of Texas. And that's when we realized we had to have more, but we couldn't have so many students at an advisory committee with all the adults because we would never number one get make it through the min, the the agenda so we looked at let's just look at how we're organized by ESCs we would have them in ESCs but so if you're listening to this and you think this is a great idea to have a student advisory committee it's important to know that that these two ladies representing the leaders of RSAC in the state have managed to make it so easy to do. Nothing in education is easy, but I'm going to say to you that when you do this, they will literally, they have the agenda, they have all the meeting materials, they will walk you through it, They the and, and the people at the ESCs will also help to explain it. Um, we will do everything that we can to help you. We've also, at the Garrett Center, developed a video that you can, uh, that if you contact us and tell us at the Garrett Center, what higher ed um, teacher preparation program or any higher ed close to you is that you would like to try and have a volunteer come, that we will get with them and we will give them a video to show to their classes on how you could have a university student volunteer go to your high school and they would run this for you. You'd need to be there because you're the teacher of record, but we will try and make it as easy as we possibly can. So what is this information used for? Literally, these two ladies collect the information from all these student advisory committees and they send it to the Texas Education Agency who then uses that information as feedback from students about what is working and what's not working in regards to transition services in the state. So RSAC is, is awesome. We love having the students as part of our team. Cutting edge, cutting edge. I mean, and, and it's funny to think in 2022 that, that it's cutting edge to think, hey, why don't we ask the students about their own education? And yet 
when you look in other areas uh, uh, of agency work, of I mean, and we're all trying to do the best we can do, but this is this is a, a kind of new ground that we are traveling here, and so I think it's fabulous that that Texas transition really we're leading that example here in Texas and probably nationwide seeking that student input um, in, in this regard. Pam, jump in. We've been waiting for you. I've been dummying it up as much as I can, but you know, you're our transition person and I've been doing the best I can do without you, but you know how that goes. Uh, I know, John, I trust you to say something. Yes, I do trust you. <laughs> so catch me up. So what are you guys been discussing? Pam, so far, we basically just went around and done introductions. We took a minute and talked about kind of that evolution of Texas transition, you know, the iterations of the network. And then we just talked about the RSAC a little bit about the student advisory okay. committee and, you know, and kind of that's where we've, we've, that's the ground we've covered so far. Okay. Is Sandy lead, leading the RSAC? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so is it Sandy and Elizabeth? Yes, we both are. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Which one makes sense to me? Yes. <laughs> network. Can I jump in real quick and just say yeah. that I feel like Arnold Horshack over here from Welcome Back Cotter and okay. like, ooh, ooh, sign me up for this uh, RSAC. I would love to, to participate because we do proactively get student input on a lot of our programs, what's working and what's not working. So I think that this would be a great project for, for our district. Let me know when you're coming and I'll have treats. <laughs> in that case i'm on my way too okay <laughs> well you know well, that's great before we before we go any further i just wanted that's one thing i wanted to ask clarification on and you know i know a lot of times we hear there's certain times of the year we want people to sign up there's certain protocols for signing up and so for someone listening just right now in real time and and they're thinking hey i i want our district to do this like so exactly how do they go about doing that contact the the uh, Texas Transition Consultant at the ESC. Perfect. So that would be the quickest way. Um, they can also contact uh, Sandy Cox or Elizabeth Danner at, at uh, Region 10 and Region 13, respectively. Uh, but really the quickest way, if you know where your ESC is, call them, ask them the uh, Texas Transition Consultant at the ESC, and, and then we'll take it from there. Fabulous, hey, fabulous. Yeah, I was about to say, we just added that page just for RSAC on our Texas Transition website as well. So if there's any questions, all that contact information is also, you can find it there. That's texastransition.org. That's fabulous. That is great to know. And that's going to be, that's going to be really helpful for our listeners. Pam, I think the next thing we really wanted to kind of talk about was that Texas Transition and Employment Guide. And I can okay. just dive right into there. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, here we are recording this on Valentine's Day. And honestly, the Texas Transition Guide is our love letter to students and families and educators and agencies and other supporters. Anybody who is trying to make sense of what's next and how do I get there and what's involved. So it really is designed to be that love letter. We took all that feedback from the regional student advisory committees, which was really helpful. And we also took information from other partners in the work. So we had 
advocates and agency folks and educators and uh, TEDs, Transition and Employment Services designees. We had people with disabilities. We had um, supporters of people with disabilities. We just wanted to get that all of that information of like what's needed and what's the best way to say it in PDF format, right? So we wanted to get this love letter out that would organize the information and provide resources and reassurance because a theme that came up over and over was this is hard. And this opens up a lot of um, excitement about opportunities and futures. And, and that can be really, that can feel really good. And it can also feel pretty scary. Even people with or without disabilities, it can be pretty scary to think about, well, what if, what could go wrong? I've had this happen in my life. What if that happens in the future? Um, so when you start talking about transition and it's, it's a language that, since we speak it professionally all day, every day, we get really comfortable with it. But when you get into a conversation with a, a student and their family about the details of getting from here to there, or even identifying what they want there to look like, there can be a lot of emotion tied with that. And so we really wanted to incorporate reassurance and encouragement along the way. And so we did that by providing as many lists as we could of like, here are uh, self-determination is threaded throughout. So every few pages, you'll see a list of how can I be more self-determined in this topic? How can I be more self-determined in this next topic? So uh, how can I be more involved in my art committee meetings? What should I be asking? What questions should I be asking? That is self-determination right there. Just saying, I don't know about this. Who can tell me? And, and here's what I need to know about it. And, and then also those steps, just that kind of timeline, starting from birth and early childhood, first diagnosis, first eligibility for special education. That's where you want to be starting to organize your thinking around self-determination, around future planning, that kind of thing. And here's what you could be doing. And then we also wanted to provide reassurance for students and families who are thinking, oh my gosh, we have been so busy living life and just getting through the day for all these years. And now we see that we're running out of runway and we've got to get to this. And now it's, it's at the front burner. We've got to get this ready. And we're, we're scared that, you know, maybe there's, uh, there's not enough time. And it's like, well, let's just organize it. Let's figure out what do you need? What do you not need to do? What can you not focus on? Because you really aren't going to need that for your own transition. So, um, so we really were just focused on organizing the information and getting that into PDF format. Now, it will be no surprise to you that a lot of students shared with us that, you know, really, you still think in print? What are you, dinosaurs? <laughs> and uh, the answer is yes, we are, but, uh, but we also understand. And so we also gave ourselves this wide open door of a transition toolkit. And so we have space on the website where we can add information. We also knew that there would be things overlooked or lost in the shuffle or not highlighted enough. And so we thought, okay, if there's a real need out there, we'll be able to tack it on through this transition toolkit and we'll be able to have other means. We're gonna have some more student stories shared through video. So we'll be able to post students talking about their own transition to kind of provide that reassurance and maybe some of those details about like, well, this is what worked for me. Talking to this person in this role really helped. So we kind of tried to fold all of that in and give ourselves an open door to, uh, to allow for more, um, to be able to respond to more needs and, uh, and include more information. 
as needed. Sounds great. It actually sounds like what the legislature actually had in mind for, for the guide, that it would be family-friendly, student-friendly, and it, it's like, so like you guys got it there. So it's not such a, well, you know, you know what the document was, so it's, 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 you know, doesn't it's not, have a, a term paper feel. That's right, exactly. And, and, that, and there's nothing wrong with. It. I mean, that was the yeah. the way it came out, and that was you know, the rules that were at the time. But now that's right. It, and you know, that's something that I think it can't be understated that it was not just permission from the Texas Education Agency, mm -hmm. but it was requirement. Right. that it not look like that. It, it's a, it, we followed a very different uh, protocol for right. this process. And so that allowed for, for a lot of expansion. And of course, it's available in Spanish as well. And uh, it's going to be available in a sign language video version will also be available. Uh, that, and that's going to be uh, provided by the sensory support needs network. Where exactly, you know, the transition employment guide, I think I know that if we're looking for that, we're going to go to the Texas transition website, and we're going to find that there. Is there other places that that can yes. be found? You mentioned the sensory network. Good question. What are other, yeah. what other spots? I will tell you that statutorily, it's required to be posted on every LEA's website. Yeah. And they will connect to the, to the Texas Transition website because that way, if there are any updates to be had, it will be there instead of just posting a PDF or whatever. So when, if they post to that link, there will be the English version, the Spanish version, and that ASL version coming soon. And uh, this is a statutory requirement. And so there are, uh, <laughs> it is being checked <laughs> in, in more ways than one. So. Susie, thank you for sharing that because yeah. I think that's important for listeners to hear is that, listen, you, you should be able to go on to your local education agency, your school district or public charter, and you should be able to find a link to this transition employment guide right there, as well as going on to the Texas Transitions Network. So that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. And saying that, you know, most of the time it's going to be, you know, on the district special education page. That was another one. Where do I find it? What we've been finding is that most of the time they'll do the link on that special education webpage for the district. And, and the whole point of that is so parents can can access that and the students. And, you know, another place to look for it is if you have an IEP, look in your IEP paperwork because there is going to be some kind of information about how to access it. So that can be a place to start. And if all else fails, contact the transition designee for your uh, school district or charter school. Or as my mother would say, there's this thing called Google. <laughs> so Elizabeth brought up the transition and employment designee. And I, I just want to touch on this with, with you all because this is a position that it, there's a designated person per LEA, and this was required by statute. And we as a network and in Texas Transition trying to really operationalize this role, empower this role, because this is the contact that pretty much everything transition needs to touch this person. And they are required to take training. And we just updated the, the TED training, and that is posted uh, via our website, but it will take them into uh, the ESC 13 Canvas course where you sign up. And we also have a transition employment designee guidebook. And this will help kind of outline our guidelines. That's what it is. 
and it will help them just have a little something on their at their desk and it the interagency aspect of this position which is outlined in the statute is a huge part of this and as we all know getting on waiver list right now are sitting at maybe at 17 years so it, it is more than just talking to a, a parents and a student at age 14. It really does take that opportunity through the early to exit when a student is identified and starts to work through the ARD and IEP process that we really need to have a, have these con conversations around um, outcomes and what the plans are for the future. Absolutely. I, I'm so glad, Susie, you mentioned that. And, and I think that's something that Sandy shared with us in a, in a previous episode. And that is the idea of 15 and 15, you know, is 30. And so we're thinking about if we wait till a child is 15 years old to start letting parents know or 14 or, and, and, hey, maybe you might need to get on this list or on this. You know, we're looking at maybe 12, 15, 17 years before the, 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 the young adult then could even benefit from said services in some instances. And so I think that this is something we just need to keep talking about, keep sharing and making sure that our LEAs are prepared to have these conversations with families earlier than later. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you on that. So, so let's jump in, let's keep going. Let's talk a little bit about SPP 14. I know that's something, that's an area of topic uh, just around the state in general, but, but also something that I think this group could elaborate on. There's a survey that goes out to students one year after they leave their LEA. And they, the whole thing from the Fed standpoint is to find out how is your state doing? What have you done during this student's time in the public schools? And where are they one year from leaving those public schools? Are they in training? Are they in higher ed? Are they in the military, et cetera, et cetera? So, so this is the goal. And what we want to do with this data, even though it gets reported to the feds and we work very closely with SPED, uh, the SPED, report, SPED data reporting folks, because they're the ones that write that APR report. But we want through dashboards and things, reports for LEAs to look at their data and then reflect on how to improve services and, and for transition and how, what are we doing in our transition planning, our, our art planning and things like that so that the students are getting what they need. So when they do leave us, they're good to go and then we can launch them. And so we are creating some videos, little short videos around helping administrators and educators uh, to really understand what all is entailed with this. Because I know through OSAP that not only is SPP 14 about post-school outcomes is, 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 is as important as the integration of the, the SPP 1, which is graduation, SPP 2, which is dropout, and SPP 13, which is about transition planning. So we need to really move forward and start thinking of those four indicators are really a full circle of what needs to be happening with Fidelity so that our students are getting everything they need before they leave us and go into the world. And so John, we have with us uh, one of the partners in special education, uh, Michelle McKinley. And Michelle like has done it all. She was a transition specialist. So she not only understands it conceptually, she has done it. 
and she's been a special ed administrator and a special education director, and she's now the executive director of special education in Maynard, but she's also the president of the Texas Council for Administrators in Special Education, and so there are several of us on here who have worked with her professionally and been good friends for a long time, and so when we thought of who could we invite to become the voice of the administrator to help us get the message out to other administrators in special education on Indicator 14. We automatically thought about our friend Michelle McKinley, who, as you pointed out, John, uh, was in Region 12, but is now in uh, a district in Region 13 with Elizabeth Danner. So, Michelle, if you wouldn't mind talking for a little bit from an administrator perspective. Thank you. I'd love to. But I also want to give out Pam Humphrey a, a, shout, a, a shout out because, you know, they always say you never know who's watching you. Many years ago, I learned everything that started me off as a transition coordinator from Pam at a transition conference. So I want to thank her for, for that. But um, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing is that there are still some of the same difficulties in, in getting this indicator 14 information. When I was a transition specialist, that was back in the day when you had to call the students and the families and try to get the information. And it was difficult. I believe this focus is going to be great, but it's it's going to take collaboration as to what's the best way to get this information. Because many of our students use school emails. And if we're getting this information one year later, then that school email is no longer operative. So how can we work with school districts to make sure that we have access to a personal email address in order to get this information. For me, as you know, from an administrative point of view, this is not just about what we have to report to the state, but like Vicki said, how would how is this information going to help us in looking at our middle school and high school programs to improve, to prepare our students for post-secondary. And even look at these questions beforehand and start talking to students about that so that they are prepared to, to know that someone's going to contact you to, to ask this information. It's good to know, like we said, from what we share with the federal uh, government, but most definitely as a teaching tool and, and growing for, for school districts, because we know that our students with disabilities, they are the ones who have a hard time finding employment. They're also the ones who struggle when they go on to, to post-secondary if we haven't provide a great thorough transition planning process. So I believe that these videos for administrators will also help our, our case managers and our teachers that are working with our scholars as well. Thank you. This is a great project that Texas Transition is going to, to develop. Thank you so much, Michelle. We are really looking forward to working next with you to create those videos. And so for those of you who are listening to the podcast, you'll eventually be able to see those very short videos on Indicator 14 and what administrators need to know about how to use that information to improve programs. So you'll eventually see them on texastransition.org. I was just wondering, 
because of the pandemic, I was just wondering, you know, just would there be, uh, or would school districts see the need to know what's happening to their kids? Not like they didn't before, but I think look at this time that we're living in that, you know, looking at outcomes, looking at, you know, the mental health issues, just looking at just excessive students, be it special ed or not, just mm-hmm. more of an urgency to know that, do we prepare them for this next this next step, any student, because of the pandemic and what it would, you know, what it takes just to keep them kids going in this time period and are, and were they able to move on to their next, you know, to the next step in their life, be it college, be it employment. I'm just wondering if that just would, just me thinking out loud, to be honest with you. I wonder if that would kind of motivate administrators to really look at that life after high school for special ed students as well as for non-special ed students. Because that's, to me, is just because of the time, is that maybe in the past we could say, well, they, you know, they, they did okay. <laughs> we think they did okay. But now it's, the big question is, do we know whether or not they did okay? Do they make it to their to their next the next chapter of their lives? Absolutely, and and that's a a really really great question. I will tell you for the administrators who are listening to this podcast, uh, or transition specialists, anyone that they can go to the report for their district, and we actually ask that question. You know, uh, did the pandemic affect you? We also added, uh, asked a few other questions this year, such as if you had a job, who got that job for you? Did the school district, because you know, we're really hoping that the school districts positively impact employment or was it Texas workforce or was it a friend or did you get it by yourself? We want to know who, who actually facilitated that movement to employment. And so we're in the process now of looking at the survey for next year and what are some additional questions we could, could begin to ask. As most of us on this call know, it's difficult to get um, really broad, complete data because we're still dependent upon reaching the student, which is why we need to do what Michelle was talking about and and look at what's the email address that is going to be used one year later. And we're we're working with that. And Michelle gave us some great ideas before we came on the podcast as we were talking. We're gonna definitely go back and pick her brain. But one of the things that the, the Texas Education Agency is working on is how can we begin to utilize existing data from the Texas Workforce, from the Texas Higher Ed Coordinating Board, from our our Texas Longitudinal Data System, like the TPIR data, and just be able to go in and find what we need. As a state, we're not quite there yet. However, I can tell you, we've been working with the best. Uh, We've brought in the National Technical Assistance Center on Transition, the uh, collaborative, which is funded by the U.S. Department of Education in Washington, the Office of Special Education Programs. And they worked with us the first two years. And so this year, we kind of began to collect the data and look at pilots. We're still working on the pilots because there's so many moving parts. Texas is so big. And also trying to make it where the data can be collected so it does not overwhelm the district. So we're still trying to um, better define and, and, and put together the, a system where we can get it without having to call students and just call students as a, a, a wrap up. Yes, in answer to your questions, we're asking those questions, go look at your report and, um, and then we'll get better and better each year at having more comprehensive data. And Pam, one of the questions that we asked that kind of leads into the next topic is what 
experiences in high school were helpful for you in preparing you for post-secondary. And, you know, we gave them different choices to answer. And 19% of students, you know, with special needs said that their career and technology classes helped them. And, and we would hope that those numbers would be higher because, you know, they're getting those hands-on experiences. They're getting that work-based learning and different things in that environment. And so I think that's, that's so important to why, you know, what we're about to talk about is, is so critical for the state of Texas and why I think Susie, you know, her breathing this into existence has been just amazing with our, you know, Texas Collaboration Institute. So that leads us into our next topic. Can we can we talk just briefly about that Texas Collaboration Institute? I know our time is running short and this fabulous group has given us an hour and we we want to hold true and honor your time. But I would love to be able to round off our conversation with just a brief conversation about the um, Texas Collaboration Institute. So this Texas Collaboration Institute has been something I've wanted to do. I was inspired by the National Technical Assistance Center on Transition, the intact group and their capacity building. It builds from what we've talked about earlier, how we're building from agency to ESC to LEAs, but not only not just siloing out the SPED folks, but bringing in our partners, such as the Texas Workforce Commission and the Career and Technical um, education folks. And so partnering up with the CTE and the TWC, VR, and special education, because this is what really needs to happen as far as the partnerships and making sure the students get what they need, starting with those transition assessments and transition planning. Does that student need to go the CTE route or is this something that can be handled through pre-employment transition services or does it need both? Does it need pre-employment transition services and CTE? So what we, we started this, kicked this off in the fall and it's a virtual conference, sort of. It's an institute. We have national state speakers and speakers from LEAs and what's, what are some evidence-based practices that are happening? Where are the successes? And then these teams, and we want everyone from the LEAs to bring a team of folks with all these different representations, including the counselors, if the counselors are there are around to participate in this and have facilitated discussions around transition planning and who does what? Not duplicating efforts. What do we need to do to make sure that our students are getting the utmost in services and programs that they need? And then we're having the spring version is March 24th of this year. And so we hope to continue this twice a year. That's the plan and just bringing kind of the same um, idea. If someone cannot participate on March 24th, they can certainly sign up and then access those recorded videos and things. And I know some ESCs are doing watch parties or an LEA could bring a team in when it's convenient and, and view these. And, and so we're really trying to support those LEAs this way as they're planning and, and pulling in all these partnerships. Yeah, so one of the ways that they can register, uh, we have a link directly on the Texas Transition site. Uh, we have it on our 
in our what's new session um, section, there's a big flyer for it. So they can click on that and it will take them directly to the um, Region 13 sign up. Uh, they'll begin receiving emails, different things like that about upcoming um, events, about speaker notices. Um, we're, we've been sending out kind of weekly newsletter, I guess you could say, or emails, kind of just highlighting, you know, our national speakers, our state speakers, and things like that. And then also through our Texas Transition newsletter, uh, if you're not you know, signed up to receive those monthly, uh, please do that because we give out information on how to register for that as well throughout those emails. And your ESC specialists are probably sending you that information and you can always check with them. Hey, Susie, what was the response from the first one you guys did in the fall? We had great feedback. I think they're hungry for this and we got a lot of positive feedback. And I think there were some folks that signed up, not really thinking in terms of a team approach. And then they realized, oh, we need to get our, my counterparts and, and build that team. And someone else can jump in on the feedback in particular. Yeah. So we had 98% of people say that they, in, that attended, and that was over 350 people attended. Um, we had 98% say that they are going to attend in the spring, that they were going to share it with their colleagues, that they were excited and pumped after leaving the sessions. Um, they thought that they were engaging. They thought that they were relevant. Um, and so the, the overall feedback was extremely, extremely positive. And Pam, it's important too to know that, that it is virtual and it is free. And of all the, the teams that came, the role that was represented with the largest participation group was actually directors or administrators for career and technical education, which means that this really is going to make a difference for equity and access. Yeah, I, I could see that working with our CTE directors and them wanting to know how can they serve special ed students more effectively. John, can I say one quick thing before we wrap up? Please do, Kayla. No, we, we talked about the wait lists and how long they were in nearly 20 years. And I noticed, as so many of us do, then when you spoke of it, you see a 12, 15, 17 years, y'all, it is not 12 or 15, it's 17, 20. Um, we put my daughter personally on wow. the Medicaid waiver wait list when she was six. Her name came up last spring or i'm sorry last fall just before she turned 26 years old she was on the wait list months short of 20 years wow so those wait lists are long in that vein we have started an early to exit initiative where we're creating tools to reach those professionals who are working within the younger years to share some developmental benchmarks instructional strategies and tips the resources those important dates those important times anyway i had to throw that in there john Love to hear that. Love to hear that. I know that's something you you and Pam and others in transition have really impressed upon me over the past few years. We can't wait, right? We, you know, we think that we're doing a good job when we start working with kids at 14 and at 15 and meeting those minimum requirements for federal and statutory requirements. But in fact, we're, we're losing a generation of kids um, to opportunity gaps. And so I think that's so powerful, Kayla, and I appreciate you bringing that back up. Well, listen, this has been a fabulous conversation. I wish we weren't all so busy and we could just hang out a few more hours and just keep going in, in, on this. But I think I could see this group coming back together and we would love to have you back on 
for a future episode of SPED Talk. There is so much new and exciting work going on with Texas Transition, and this group is integral in that work. And so just kudos to everyone. Pam, any last words? No, no, just thank you for being here. Sorry I was late. And John and Pam, when you're looking at a future podcast, we'd love to piggyback on what Kayla was just saying, that early to exit, and talk a little bit more about our early childhood special ed which you can find on Texas Transition. A lot of the materials we've already developed and are now developing and we'll be adding more, but also our 18 plus, which is a new addition to uh, what will soon be coming up on our Texas Transition website because it's a real need in, in Texas to better define what an appropriate age appropriate 18 plus looks like. So it's not high school by another name and just a continuation of what we were doing mm. before. So be looking for those 18 plus materials too. Absolutely. We sure will. And, and I think uh, Dr. Mitchell, I think we're, you've, you just set us up, you queued us up for a follow-up episode. And so I am super excited and, and I know I can just call Kayla Daniel anytime and she'll collaborate and coordinate and get all this set up. So guys, thank y'all so much for joining us today. Um, you know, SPED Talk really is about elevating the ideas, the information, the resources. John, tell everyone how they can continue to elevate the conversation about special education in Texas. You got it, Pam. They can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SPED Talk 2020. Because in these disconnected times, connecting with others has never been so important. Now more than ever, it takes courage to create culture and kindness to keep us connected. If you enjoyed this episode of SPED Talk, be sure to share it with a friend because information should always flow through us, not to us. We couldn't do this without you, our listeners, and we need your help sharing the amazing transformation occurring in special education. Together, we can change the trajectory of learning opportunities in Texas for students with disabilities. If you have ideas, information, or resources that you think we should share on an upcoming episode of SPED Talk, let us know at SPED Talk 2020 on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And be sure to like our page while you're there. Oh yeah, and if you get a chance, please consider giving us a positive review on the podcast platform that you listen to SPED Talk. Living in the moment and the moment is the future.